Good morning, afternoon or evening. Welcome once again to 1459. No matter the moment, no matter the place, wherever you're listening from, whether the sun is shining or rain is pouring down, whether you're traveling or at home, we start up the engine of the DeLorean and we set sail to Antarctica. A city is already wandering. What I'm wondering today, even if time passes by, Will we remember to keep the glory to the brave? Here we go. As I was saying, we have arrived on the DeLorean to January 4th, 1912 and we have landed 240 kilometers away from the South Pole, in Antarctica. The stars team of Terra Nova expedition is comprised of Robert Scott, Edward Wilson, Henry Bowers, Lawrence Oates and Edgar Evans. They are about to take the third and last stage of the conquest of the southernmost place on Earth. Long gone behind are the two years the expedition has been going. The fundraising, the obstacles in the way, the problems and arguments, the base camps, and taking the British Empire to the glory when they achieved this. Nevertheless, only one of these five men will go in history one level higher than the others, rising him to the status of legend. Today, we tell the story of the incomparable Captain Lawrence. In order to do it, we have to go back some years farther in time. Lawrence Oates was born in 1880 within a wealthy family in Putney, in the southwest of London. He joined the 3rd Battalion of West Yorkshire Regiment in 1898. He took operations in the Second Boer War in the south of Africa. He would be shot in his left thigh bone three years later, so the left one would end up being almost 3 centimeters shorter than his right one. During the South Africa wars, he was called upon surrender, to which he always answered, we came to fight, not to surrender. Thanks to that, his fame started getting wider. He left South Africa in 1902 after the peace was signed and he returned to England. Four years later, he would be promoted finally as a captain, running missions in Ireland, Egypt and India. It would finally be in 1910, when his life would take a turn towards the biggest of adventures. In 1910, after getting to know the details of the Terra Nova expedition, he asked to be a part of it. Terra Nova would consist on exploring the Antarctic lands, the conquest of the South Pole and a complex scientific research program. Lawrence Oates contributed with £1,000, which would translate nowadays as €125,000, and he was immediately accepted. Beyond his economical donation, due to his vast knowledge about surviving in extreme conditions as well as his ability and experience with horses, he was nicknamed the soldier within the group, and his first assigned mission was to find the 19 horses that would accompany the expedition heroes through the cold areas. The horses would be crucial in the first stages of the expedition, 
so they could be able to carry the materials and food and setting up the first base camps. Nevertheless, Robert Scott, who was a captain of the Royal Navy, expedition commander and group leader, the same person who assigned Oates his mission, took a decision that ultimately would lead for the mission ultimate fail. He finally assigned the horse purchasing to the same person assigned to purchase the dogs for the mission, Mr. Cecil Mears. Although he was an expert in dogs, his experience with horses was zero, and the ponies he acquired in Siberia, not only they delayed evidently the departure of the expedition, but they were the least adequate ones for the mission they had ahead. For you to get an idea, Scott only demanded that the ponies had to be white and not dark-haired, as he was suggested this very thing by another explorer that had been in Antarctica before. Without any other knowledge and disauthorizing Lawrence, assigning the horses purchased in the last minute to another unexperienced person would be the first of many clashes between Oates and Scott. Scott wanted to arrive and get the photo over arriving safe and okay. Oates would continue with the expedition, but with a great bitterness towards the leader. 65 men picked over 8,000 candidates were the chosen ones to be part of the expedition. 50 of them were military-based. There would be several teams assigned to different tasks, but with the primary goal of getting the five main heroes into the South Pole as the epicenter of the epic accomplishment. The ship took them from Wales to South Africa, then to Australia, to finally arrive on New Zealand. It would be from there where they would reach Antarctica through the Ross Island. The trip itself had been chaotic and it could have made the expedition to fall apart. They lost dogs and horses, coal and fuel, and there was a moment where the ship crew had to use buckets to take the water off the inside of the ship as the pumps were not able nor enough. During the unload, one of the three motorized vehicles was lost. The general plan was that while research teams were established at the beginning, the rest of the group would be advancing on setting up shelters and food deposits to be available on the return trip. That way they could organize the returning stages without having to worry for the food nor place to protect themselves from the cold outside that could be in some stages down to minus 60 degrees. As they were advancing, the weak horses were collapsing, and while some of them were fed to the orcas, the differences between Oates and Scott went through a deeper level. While Oates had a lot of experience and had survived in hostile scenarios, forced to eat the same animals he was carrying around as they died, Scott only wanted the animals to be safe and returned them to base camps so they could be saved. It was also carrying ponies that could make the group go slower. Basically, a dog requires less than a kilo of food and can carry around 50 kilos load, while a horse needs more than 5 kilos of food in exchange to carry 800 kilos with it. But sure, the dogs could handle the cold better than horses, as the ponies were prone to transpire more and their sweat could freeze. They would dip farther into the snow, so the general pace would be much slower. The scientific team continued to work correctly at good pace, while the team in pursuit of the South Pole started to suffer the consequences. They didn't have any motorized vehicles with them anymore, 
so they had to load them along with the rest of the supplies and this delayed them two more weeks. The biggest deposit they had to prepare was the one called One Ton Depot. This would be the primary shelter when they would return from the South Pole. Due to the blizzards, they had to install it 56 kilometers north from where they had planned. They didn't know this, but it would change the trip forever. The strategy was clear, the five-man man would be the only ones to reach the South Pole, and the team was decided finally on January 4, 1912. These would be Scott, Wilson, Bowers, Evans and Oates. The rest of them would accompany the main team in early stages, but would get back to shelters and base camps. The horses would be food as they would go dying, and the dogs would be used to clear the path back. The five men had 269 kilometers ahead of them, just them alone to confront destiny, and the pace was adequate for a week until they found something, just 24 kilometers away from the goal. They found a tent with a Norwegian flag. Then they realized that the Norwegian team, led by Amundsen, was ahead of them. Just one day later, the already famous January 18th, Scott and his men would arrive finally to the South Pole. They would find that Amundsen had reached there on December 14th, barely 35 days before them. Amundsen had left the tent, a flag, supplies and a letter that Scott would deliver to Hakon, the Norwegian king. The Norwegians had used only dogs through the trip, so they could go much faster, and they didn't need as many supplies as they were eating the same dogs that were carrying them. Scott was supposed to do this, although Oates knew that it was the right method, and he sided with the Norwegians. With the latent deception of not having been the first ones, Scott and Oates commanded the return trip, where Evans fell ill due to scurvy. The return was a complete odyssey. In the beginning they could walk without a problem, but the frostbite and the wrong location of the deposits and shelters set earlier conditioned severely the success of the return trip. The snowstorms and the low temperatures made it difficult to carry the sledges and they were many times stuck to the surface. One month after starting the return trip, Evans, the older one in the group, could not survive the continuous falls in wounds and died on February 17th. The four men continued despite the adversities. Captain Lawrence Oates continued the march with military composure without telling his teammates that his war wounds were taking the toll on. He would not be able to hide it for much longer. Each day they could walk less distance due to the adverse weather conditions, but mainly because Oates could not walk. They had to walk 15 kilometers per day in order to adjust the agenda to the deposits being set, but they wouldn't be able to do anything beyond five. The support teams with dogs were nowhere to be found. The temperatures dropped beyond estimation. The fuel was in short supply in the deposits. And regarding notes, the frostbite in his feet and hands was damaging the group progress. It could be on March 17, on his 32nd birthday, the day that Captain Lawrence would rise to be a legend. Knowing that the group would not be able to advance with him, but they didn't want to leave him behind, Lawrence Oates communicated his teammates the words that, since then, 
would be recognized as the main example of the British army. He said, I am just going outside and maybe some time. His team didn't know. Oates started walking alone, nothing in his pockets, in opposite direction to where the group was headed, walking towards his own death as fast as possible without destiny nor destination in the middle of a horrible blizzard making it impossible for his mates to go rescuing him. Sacrificing himself, the rest of the team would be able to reach Wanton Depot and save themselves. They didn't find out until hours later. Scott would recognize in his diary that at the end, Lawrence was acting like a brave and true Englishman. Without oats, the three remaining men were advancing faster towards Wanton Depot. Nevertheless, Three days later, a huge snowstorm and the low temperatures prevented them to continue walking, so they had to refuge in a tent with just a small quantity of remaining food. They tried each and every day to continue walking, but it was not possible. Nine days later, the three of them died frozen. They died just 18 kilometers away from one ton depot. The sacrifice of Captain Lawrence had been in vain. If they could have been able to set Wanton Depot where it was originally established, all of them could have been saved. Eight months later, the rescue teams found all the bodies, but they could not find Lawrence Oates one. To this day, Captain Lawrence is the quintessential example of stoicism towards adversity, sacrifice and team spirit. 1459 is a podcast for discovering certain events and people through history preventing them to be forgotten. Although you are listening to the English version, there is a version in Spanish of the same episode that you can find in Podbean or in any of the major social networks. Every week there will be a new episode, as well as an archive with all the previous episodes for free. Thank you for your time and for listening to 1459 Podcast. I have composed and produced all the music in the background specifically for this podcast in order to be properly set. This has been Glory to the Brave. Next week, we will travel to Calgary, Canada. Until then, be good.